Welcome to the Founding Mothers Podcast, where we're exploring new ways of living with one another and our planet. I'm your host, Emily Reese. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Bria Bloom. Bria is the Executive Director of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. Along with her older brother, she grew up in an unschooling family and now is a parent of a self-directed young person and a passionate advocate for collective liberation, self-directed education, and young people's rights. A lot of people have a hard time imagining any society without school, period, Um, even though some of them still exist. So it really is the work of self-directed education now is to show people we don't necessarily need school and then envision what society can look like now without school. The unschooling and de-schooling world was her gateway into a whole lot of questioning and realizing that the systems that try to define our lives and school us are not limited to just school. She also loves to engage and play as a self-directed education facilitator. Bria spends her time finding new ways to build and live in community, seeking disruption of harmful norms, reimagining the way our living can be, exploring questions and ideas with young people and adults, laughing often, and marveling at all the passion and wonder that lives in self-directed communities every day. Bria is also a martial artist and a dancer, a happy Portland cyclist, a plant-based cooking enthusiast, a writer, and a semi-aspiring YouTube video creator. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation today. So I'd love to start by just going over some of the basics. How would you define self-directed education? Generally, first, we have to redefine education because I think we tend to lump in education with schooling. And for self-directed education, we're trying to detach it really from the idea of a school system or schooling. So for the Alliance, at least, the definition on our site includes a definition of education which is something, I'll paraphrase because I don't have it memorized, but something like everything that a person learns within their life in order to live a satisfying, meaningful, hopefully joyful life. So it's not just about the typical things you think about in schooling. It's about everything we do, cultural aspects of how we take care of ourselves and each other, how we live, how we relate. All of that is wrapped up in the term education, and that's how we define it. And then I also want to address that term self-directed because I think a lot of people think self-directed means like self-taught or isolated to only I'm the one doing the thing on my own. But what it really means is that the desire to do the thing comes from me. It comes from the person doing it. So that can look like asking for a teacher or a mentor or taking a class or even doing worksheets for some people, or it can look like playing, reading, whatever people want to do to pursue things they're into, but it doesn't mean that you're doing it all in isolation or you have to do it by yourself or you have to be self-taught. It just means that the person themselves are seeking it out and are into it. Amazing. So self-directed education for me is really just about living because living is how we learn. And I think that our living should come from our own desires and ourself as opposed to pressures other people are putting on to us. Wow, so it really sounds like it is, it's like a philosophy or a way of viewing what life is and then education yeah. is a part of that or one and the same. Yeah. And tell me about the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. Who is this alliance made up of and what is the... F- yeah, the alliance has a long history. I think it just started with people who were really 
frustrated with how conventional society just buys into the school system automatically. And then even a lot of the alternatives don't go far enough in trusting children. A lot of them still have a predetermined curriculum where the adults and teachers are at the top and they tell the kids what to do. It might be more holistic, more arts-based, but it's still the adults are deciding for the kids. And there are other organizations that will advocate for different types of education in general, but there was no organization that was trying to unite everyone who's doing a version of self-directed education where the kids are really in the lead themselves and you really do trust them. There wasn't an organization that brought all the pieces of that puzzle together because you have unschoolers, which are homeschooling families doing this, and then you have private schools that are ALC, Sudbury schools, different communities doing this in a different way, but all with the baseline principle of self-directed education. So bringing all those people together to form one movement and support each other in their different ways of living this, but still having the same goal and vision is why the Alliance was formed. That's so interesting. So obviously this speaks to the power of community and bringing together Mm -hmm. a collective. And so I'm curious, what was born out of just bringing these disparate groups or seemingly disparate groups together? Not everyone wants to be brought together. So a lot of people are really into it and want to learn from each other. And a deeper understanding is formed between unschoolers and people in SDE centers and how that can work together. You can shift from one to the other. So I think there is more understanding and learning from each other that has grown. There's still people who are like very much an unschooler. I don't want anything to do with centers. People who are like very much a center. I don't want anything to do with unschoolers. And that's their choice, but they don't really have interest in participating in the alliance because we're trying to bring everyone together under this philosophy while respecting the different choices of how that lives. Yeah, just knowing that this exists as a resource or as a body that's out there, I'm sure, is comforting to some. And with that, do you have any set goals as an alliance that you set year over year? What guides the focus each cycle? Yeah, it's hard because like grassroots movements, it's really hard to see the dial turn. (laughs) You're like, this amount of people are now not in school, this amount are unschooling, and that feels successful. But like, you really don't see and feel the huge change until there's a huge change. And I'm sure anyone working in that kind of movement can tell you, like, we're just waiting for the huge change and doing everything we can to make it accessible and supportive to the people on the ground doing it and living. But the strategy changes by the year, by the month, by the needs. Really, as the pandemic hit, there was this need to support all these families who were suddenly schooling at home, but then wondering, do we have to school at home? Can it actually look a different way? So we shifted a lot of things just to focus on supporting those families and reaching those families. And that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So we do try and have consistent projects and goals, but we also listen and respond and see what our members want and see what's happening in the greater overall picture of society. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the pandemic because it's one of those things that as it was unfolding, some people, everyone had their own experience within it, but it was also clear that this was going to shift fundamentally what reality looks like for so many of us. So I was curious to see how that did impact how outreach perhaps to the Alliance or interest in self-directed education. Yeah. And then there's also suddenly a bunch of people are online more. So you can give online offerings and more people are coming just because that's what we have. So it made information spreading about this a lot more accessible because meeting in person isn't viable for everyone all the time. 
but people want to do it. So we tend to skip online things if we can, because we really want to meet in person. But there was just a bunch of offerings all at once and a bunch of interest. So that was a nice point. I would say it's changed a lot now. Now there's a lot of families who have decided not to go back and they need support in what can I find in my community where my kids can go or have other people to play with, or I can find other parents who are going to support and not judge my decisions. Um, People are looking for support in de-schooling, which is deprogramming our assumptions about learning and school and how we live and how we treat our kids. And what does this look like for my family now that I've decided my kids aren't going back to school? There's a real logistical challenge of I have to work or how do I find care? How do I find the finances for this? So those are the questions we're hearing and supporting a lot more right now. There's so much richness to go into there. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh my gosh, I want to hear how you respond to that. But first, maybe we could zoom out a bit and start with, you were to think back to the initial conception of self-directed education and where that began. What do you know about that? Where did that first idea come from? So the term self-directed education is just a new label that we're using and we're putting on something to describe an age-old practice of raising children. So I see it as going way back into how hunter-gatherers and Native peoples raised their children. Because if you look at those tribes and how they lived, a lot of what kids were doing, they were in mixed age groups, they were playing with older kids, they were hanging out with the adults. It was mixed age, they weren't segregated, and they were playing to learn all day long, because that's how humans learn. That's how mammals learn. So really, this concept is as old as human learning is. And we've, in a lot of ways, rebranded it to capture the attention of people to say, hey, this exists. But when you really want to get down and talk about it with people, it's this is indigenous wisdom. It's not this new thing that white academics created. This is indigenous wisdom. And we just want to be able to spread and support that and revisit that. Yeah, so powerful and true for many things beyond yes. education even. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that idea, there's almost a soundbite in that around play and education going hand in hand. Yeah. So what was the process then from that evolution, from what you know of it being indigenous wisdom, just the way things were in the hunter-gathering time to now where we are today? What can you speak to around the evolution of how it's grown? I think as we put a lot of kids into schooling systems so that people would be ready to work in factories or for various other reasons, there's so many reasons we can cite for why schooling systems emerged. We just got away from that. We just Mm. forgot. (laughs) It's even how we learn. Yeah. Those of us who were faced with that or our ancestors who were faced with that. So I think there's this consciousness that people believe we need school in order to learn certain things. And now it's the undoing of all of that because it's been so ingrained in us for so long. A lot of people have a hard time imagining any society without school, period, even though some of them still exist. So it really is the work of self-directed education now is to like show people we don't necessarily need school and then envision what society can look like now without school. Because we're not going back to how it was. We can't go back. (laughs) We can use the wisdom and grow new things, but we can't go all the way back. I don't believe that's possible. But first you have to help people understand that this is not how it's always been and it's not how it has to be. And what can we imagine together? Yeah, so on that point, so important, I think, to focus on a vision. Otherwise, we're stuck repeating all we know. So if you could describe a vision of what the world could look like under the guise of self-directed education being the norm, or however you would put that in your own words, what would that vision of the world be? 
It's so funny because I'm working on another project right now where we're envisioning a world without school and we're approaching it from so many different artistic angles, but it's hard. It's hard when you've just had school the whole time. And obviously I didn't go to school, but everyone around me went to school. So I'm still impacted by how society functions. And people you ask are going to have lots of the same ideas and lots of different ideas. And I think that's important because I don't think one global vision is going to work for everyone because I think we like small communities figure out together what works for them. So I think having a lot of different visions is important. But really, when I'm thinking of the downfall of schools or the school system, I just envision community centers and spaces and multi-age spaces and less having the segregation between adults and children where the adults go to their office workplaces, the kids go to their schools or their care centers. But really, how can we integrate all of that so that it works for people? Like people do need space away from kids to do certain work sometimes. People need space away from each other to do work. So that still needs to be honored. But how do we integrate all of society and community to not have that separation? And that's really what I envision. And Yeah, just a lot of community spaces, centers that all operate in different ways, depending on who's showing up and what they're asking for and what they're agreeing on with other people. Oh my gosh. I love that you said, first of all, that there's not a one size fits all solution. It goes back to the start of this conversation where you're saying even within the Alliance, there's different points of view on how to show up within this space. But it also speaks to this isn't about having one, another new uniform way, like a policy of this is how it needs to be, but creating some freedom in different containers for people to explore. So Within this vision, it was so beautiful what you said about the community centers. I'm curious to know what would be possible with that vision, let's just say, for quote-unquote adults or older people or younger people. What would be possible for each of these age groups? Yeah, I think that adults in our make money, survive, do the things that we're expected to do have gotten really far away from play and joy a lot of times. And we definitely try and reclaim that in different ways, but it's hard. And kids, because they don't, they're not going to school or in the times when they aren't in school, because they don't have the constraints of make money to pay the rent and do that, all those things. They have this space to be themselves and be more joyful and play more and be more creative, I think, than adults do. First of all, I'd hope that the constraints of trying to survive under capitalism would go away. But if we're not thinking about that, just adults and kids in the same space have so much wisdom for each other. And I find that when adults are able to let go of the daily constraints and let go of their preconceived notions and their schooling and really be with kids, so much comes out of that. There's so much joy, so much exchanging of ideas, so much creativity, so much imagining of worlds. I've seen it time and time again. And then I can't speak to how kids feel in the presence of adults, but I imagine there's things that are coming out of that for them as well. I'm sure there's a different experience for kids when they're in the presence of adults who are in their childlike playfulness versus in their survival mode of capitalism, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's inspired me personally as well is thinking about what would be possible if children were actually involved in some of the conversations around shaping our society and solving for Mm -hmm. some of the challenges we're faced with now. So I don't know if you have any examples of what you've seen come out of self-directed education in play, whether it was through your own experience or people that you've worked with. I'm just curious, what does that actually look like 
in the day-to-day? It looks a bunch of different ways. It's interesting because young people have so many ideas, but I think they are constrained by the fact that they know not everyone's going to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's so many ideas that grew here, but where do we go with them? How do we actually have power to share them with the world and make a difference that becomes the really hard block, I think. And a lot of times I think that shows up in communities where they have power in that SDE, self-directed education space, because it's a space that respects kids and trusts them. So they have power to influence that community and it might spread out to their parents or more things locally. And they might find some cause to get involved in in a different way. But really a lot of it is done within the place they're in because the adults give them the trust and don't constrain them. They let them have control over that space they're in. So It's hard to see how it ripples out. I know it does ripple out when you learn how to talk to each other and how to treat each other and how to navigate conflict. That's going to affect the whole world because if we have people who grow up and act like this instead of acting in these controlled, constrained ways that many school people act, it's going to affect the whole world. It is really hard to directly see the impact youth have because we aren't used to letting ourselves see it or letting it expand beyond a certain point. Yeah, that speaks to how we measure success, having to maybe Mm -hmm. shift a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, too, as someone who yourself, you grew up within this philosophy. Is that correct? You never went to school formally until college. So what was that experience like for you as a young person? We were the only homeschoolers in our area. So it was lonely when I was young because I was waiting for friends to get home from school. I always talk about, when I talk about self-directed education, unschooling, you have to find a community. And you can. And once you do, your socializing, I think, is much richer than it is in school because school puts all these pressures and constraints on young people. Mm. But without a community, it doesn't feel like true self-directed education or unschooling to me. And it happened with my son when we moved here. We tried to unschool, but we just weren't finding anyone for a variety of reasons. I've written about this, but then we chose to go to an SDE center just so he could have that community and everything changed. So it felt lonely until I found the homeschool center that I started going to. And then it's so hard to compare because I have no idea what it's like to go to school. I've heard about it, but it just felt joyful and happy and exciting. And adults were my peers. And I just felt like myself the whole time I was growing up in that and being with my friends. And I just felt like myself and that I didn't have any reason not to be myself or to constrain myself, even if there were adults in the room. I didn't care. I thought I was their equal. I decided I was their equal. Yeah. I guess that's the best way I could describe it. And as far as how that's impacted you now, clearly it's something that has stayed with you enough for you to want to carry out this mission in a sense with other people. How else could you say that it's impacted you today as an adult? I haven't thought about this in a long time, although I used to talk about it all the time. I think just in the way I would carry myself in the world and approach my work, approach what I want to do in the world, I've always been ready to ask for what I wanted. And if I get denied, I assume it's just not a good partnership or situation for both sides. And that's how I'm going to find what's right for me. When I was younger, I would want to do all these things. And my dad would say, just ask. For example, I wanted to be a teacher's assistant in a Spanish class. And the place I was taking class had never had that before. And I just asked for it. And they were like, great, we'll create that role for you. So I had this sense that I could ask for any role 
And the worst thing that can happen is someone's going to say no. <laughs> and if they say no, like you don't want to work with them anyway, because obviously there's something they don't want that to happen. They don't appreciate you. It's not the right space, whatever. So as I've gone on, I've taken that with me. I've always just said, this is what I'm interested in doing. I'd love to work with you, take it or leave it kind of a thing. And I don't think the way a lot of people approach working in the world. And also I have no issues leaving when I'm not enjoying it anymore because I don't think that life should be forcing yourself to do things for success or approval in order to get ahead or whatever it is that I think schools train a lot of people to do. I think life should be about my fulfillment and what I'm doing for the world and what other people are getting out of it and what I'm getting out of it. So I'm going to leave things when they're not serving me anymore. And I don't have an issue with that. Oh my gosh. As someone who had to unlearn so much of that conditioning and I often reflect with my husband how that grade system and getting a gold star has been so programmed into the Mm -hmm. way I show up, even in personal conversations at times. So there could be people listening to this who come from any part of the spectrum, but that idea that you can be self-guided in your life and also find fulfillment is not something that you have to figure out later on. You can have that from the beginning. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So I wanted to think about or talk about what could be some tangible next steps that people could take who are listening to this? But I'd love to look at that from two angles. So one, for someone who is really fixed on the idea of school, what would be an invitation you have for them or an inquiry to leave them with? Interesting. I would say it depends on if it's an adult or a young person. Let's let's Um, talk to both of them. (laughs) Okay. For an adult or a parent, I would really wonder what about school you're fixed on. What about school makes you feel secure? What about it? excites you? What about it makes you feel worried if you would go without it? What things about school speak to you and where did that come from? And then I would also say, how does your young person feel in school? If you really think about it, what's happening for them when they come home from school? What are they telling you about school? What are their stressors? What do they like outside of school? Are there things that light them up that have nothing to do with school or Are there not things anymore? Did those go away? So just asking those questions is what I would say to those people. And then for young people, the same thing. What excites you? Is there a class at school that excites you? Are there none? Is there something else that excites you? Did you lose all of that and you can't find it again? What do you like about school if there is something and what fears do you have? Oh my gosh, such great questions. I Maybe we can include them as follow-up notes for people to journal about. (laughs) Love a good journaling prompt. Okay, so then on the other end, and you were talking about this at the start, for people who have opened up their minds and hearts and whatnot to thinking about self-directed education or unschooling or just getting out of that school system as it stands, what are some tangible next steps that you would have for them, whether that's an inquiry, a question, or something that they could do? Yeah, it depends on what they're looking for. Most people I've heard from are looking for, how do I do this when I feel so alone or no one else is doing it? So I would check out like unschooling groups, even homeschooling groups might have some connection in their local self-directed education communities. And we have lists of those on ASTI's website. So checking out those places where you can find people, at least people online to talk to and support you through that transition. Because a lot of these people really do want to support others through the transition too, because they remember what it was like to feel worried and alone. And it's really hard to do it if you do feel completely alone or like other people are judging you and you have no one to go to who's affirming that decision. So I would say find community, find those people. And... 
I think that's my first and main tip is find that. And everything kind of blossoms from there. Oh my gosh. I even have an image of the blossoming that community (laughs) gives. It's so true. And there's a curiosity I have around those who find themselves being judged by family members or their existing community. What advice would you have for those people? The same thing I just said. It's really hard to sit there and be judged if you don't have anyone who's supporting you and affirming you for who you are and what you believe in. And I would say look to your kids. I hear from so many people that every time they themselves in this, they look at their kids and how their kids are feeling and how much joy they have and what they're playing with. And it affirms things for them. It's still hard. It doesn't make everything go away, but you're realizing you did this for your kids' freedom and for their rights and for their emotional and mental health. And keep reminding yourself of that and keep watching them and seeing that change in them. There's something to be said or explored potentially around even the privilege that it is to have time and space to be with your kids and observe them in that way. And so is that something that has come up in this conversation? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's an age old problem. It is a privilege. And some families have resources to make those sacrifices, but don't think they do. And some families don't have any resources to make those sacrifices. And I think the best we can do is offer all these community spaces and support groups for free, for massive sliding scales, subsidizing each other, doing mutual aid care swaps, imagining all these ways this can live outside of monetary commitment or even live for people who don't have the time commitment because Mm -hmm. they're working a bunch of jobs trying to make money. How can these things live in so many different ways that is accessible to a bunch of different people? But it's not there yet. People are envisioning this and working on it in so many different ways, but it's not there yet because money is always an issue in this society. It really is. Yeah. So just to clarify, even for my own understanding, if I was a parent who, let's say, both both me and my partner had to work, go to a job, we don't have much time to be there with our child, would our child still have the opportunity to explore self-directed education through a, a community or a different group? I think so. It depends on where you are. And if you're not in a space where something's close by, you have to put some work into creating it or finding it. But there's people who have made this work in all different ways. And they share about it a lot too. But there's definitely ways to make this work. If you do have enough resources to even think about trying, there's ways to make this work. Yeah. Amazing. I'm left both with the reality of where we are now, but also the vision Mm -hmm. that you've created for us and knowing that these things do take time to build, but hopefully conversations like this one give people new ideas and ways of even thinking and approaching this. As a final question to close us off, I'd like to hear from you, what would support look like? So for us listening, how could we support you, the Alliance for Self-Directed Education and bringing this type of thinking to life even more? Yeah, I mean, just sharing about it. A lot of the support in this movement is just people having conversations with other people because it's hard to hear something and have your whole worldview challenge and then not be able to get curious and ask questions of someone you trust. So if you have friends who are curious, be really empathetic and kind with them and share your experience and share why you're excited about it. And that's the best way to reach people is through that direct connection. Obviously, as the Alliance has all these initiatives, we need money to make that work. Able to donate, please do. Everyone needs money to make things work. But in terms of what you can do on the ground for yourself and others, it is that one-on-one connection and understanding because 
I don't think most people know that school is really harmful for their kids. They want the best for their kids. It just feels like this trap you can't get out of. So just having someone be there for them and listen and show them another way as possible is really big. Amazing. Is there anything else you want to share with us with before we wrap up? Not right now. I could list hundreds of resources, yeah. but maybe I can like send a list afterwards of resources that might be helpful for people. I don't want to take up time just like naming things when it's easier to just like click on a sheet or something. Yeah, resources but, yeah. are welcome. So I, we will okay. definitely connect about that afterwards. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much. This is a great conversation and I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. I've learned so much myself. So <laughs> I'm excited to have these conversations with people in my life and share this recording. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Founding Mothers Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Emily Race, and edited by Eric Weisberg. If you want to support the show, please leave us a rating or share this episode with the important people in your life. We'd also love to hear from you if you or someone you know would be a great guest to share about their vision for the world. You can email Emily at founding-mothers.com or visit www.founding-mothers.com slash podcast.